0: Um, even more niche courses like 13 Week Cash Flow, Venture Capital Course, Real Estate Modeling—you name it. Go ahead and check them out at WallStreetOasis.com/courses. Thanks for the support.
1: Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com WSO. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, longtime dealmaker, now turned venture investor, Mark Mullen. Mark was a banker for 22 years. He led deals across the world and has a pretty awesome and inspiring story. This is a good one. Quickly, the courses at Wall Street Oasis that I talk about every week that keep this podcast going, they really are the best. They're the most comprehensive thing out there with thousands of crowdsourced questions and case studies, interview prep and modeling training, whether it's banking, private equity, hedge funds or consulting. Check them out. I'm sure they will help you. So my best friend from college and I, we reconnected recently. We were too close in college. He started dating my friend, and it just turned into this whole mess. But we've been talking again, and he came out and stayed with me a few months ago before I had my baby. He lives in Chicago. Uh, After school, we both worked for big companies. He did consulting. I did banking. And we both found our way into the startup or entrepreneurship path. He actually builds financial models for companies. He started his business by marketing only on Craigslist, and now he's built his business into something real, and he's making a ton of money building financial models. So while he's making lots of money, but doesn't really have something he can scale or has a ton of upside, me, on the other hand, am making very little money, but with tons of upside. So we're both kind of jealous of what each other has going on. That's life, right? Anyway, we were talking about this stuff yesterday, and he said, all the money we have now is petty. We are 31, dude. Having fun is where it's at. And while I hate taking his advice, he's right. Constantly asking yourself if you're doing the right thing or you're on the right path or making enough money, none of that makes you happy. So while we're all going to ask ourselves those questions, I think it's important to keep in mind how young we are how long careers are. Careers are long. I love that. Just work hard and have fun. Let everything else figure itself out. So, I guess the message here is reconnect with old friends. Staying angry is stupid. Mark Mullen, Bonfire Ventures, longtime LA investor, venture capitalist. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great Thank, to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming to the office. Thanks for sitting down with me. You started your career off in investment banking guess how come you did that
0: well um you know i was raised in the 70s and 80s so um i had an opportunity my father was an entrepreneur himself um i grew up in colorado so i wasn't obviously on the coasts and part of that world but grew up in colorado my father was an entrepreneur he grew up in iowa uh very poor didn't have anything end up um, getting into the ski industry which was a great way to grow up um skiing. And, um, you know, I always looked at him as a businessman. Wasn't necessary. I didn't necessarily understand what he was doing. I just he was a businessman. So I wanted to be in business. And then um, I remember being in college. uh, This was in the early 80s. And the whole um, Wall Street persona was starting to take over, and particularly led by Mike Milken at the time. And I remember seeing him on the cover of Time Magazine or Fortune or Forbes, which I was reading in high school. Um, and I was like, you know, that was, I want to be that guy. Now, of course, later on, he got in a little bit of trouble, didn't want to be him then. Um, but, you know, he's gone on to uh, do tremendous things um, in healthcare and charities, and etc. And is a big big person here in Los Angeles. Still, lots and lots of companies and employees have come out of the old Milken days. Um, There's kind of a a Milken mafia still here in LA that runs a lot of the financial uh, businesses. But um, uh, I got a chance to meet him. I've now met him several times, but I got a chance to meet him for the first time. And I told him that story. I go, you know, I was an investment banker for 22 years. I used to work for Bill Daniels, who he knew, uh, because I was inspired by what you were doing. And here we are in LA having a chat. You know, over dinner, and so I thought that was an exciting, strange, unique story, and he kind of laughed it off and said, yeah, I bet there were plenty of people like that, and hopefully you're doing the good things that I did, so um, that's kind of got me inspired to try to be in investment banking. I was really good with numbers, so it was more natural, Mm -hmm. Um, and then I decided to go to college, and I got into University of Michigan. I ended up having, for various reasons, to finish school at University of Denver and uh, immediately went to work in banking. Out of college, uh, moved to San Francisco, went into private equity. Um, the, the traditional path. Thank traditional you, path. Um, uh, traditional from the sense of the the, t- the job titles and the industry. Not traditional. Um, traditional from the perspective of work. I worked for Colorado National Bank. Right. Then I worked in San Francisco for Sierra Capital, which is a private equity fund. And I went to grad school from there in international finance. So I went to a school called Thunderbird. mm mm-hmm. um, and was getting ready to take a job at Credit Suisse. So now I'm on the the much more traditional path. I'm moving to New York um, or getting ready to move to New York. And I got a phone call from somebody who I'd known through my father who said, hey, did you ever get a chance to meet Bill Daniels? And Bill Daniels is known as the father of cable television in the United States. And again, this is 1992. And when you grow up in wherever you're from, there are these people you've heard of but you are, that are untouchable to you. So it'd be like, let's say you grew up in Nebraska and somebody asked you, do you want to meet Warren Buffett? Right. You're like, yeah, but,
1: but how Buffett, yeah. does
0: that happen? This is what happened with me in Colorado. Do you want to meet Bill Daniels? And I said, yes, that'd be, you know, incredible. And so I went to meet him and he's known as and was known as he's a swashbuckling, you know, billionaire who started with nothing became a billionaire, lost it all, became a billionaire again, um, uh, had four wives, no children, et cetera, et cetera, one of those people from that old media world.
1: Right, like Ted Turner. Yes,
0: exactly. And he was Ted's banker and was the second largest shareholder in Turner when we sold it to AOL. So he was part of that world. And um, he met me in his office, which was this office with every president you can think of. He was also the first captain of the Blue Angels. I mean, he was a naval um, war hero. So he had pictures of every president at the time. It was with him um, all over his walls. He had all these mementos. We owned 10% of the Lakers. So we had one of the championship trophies in our office, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um,
0: and I walk in, and he's got a suit on, and, um, and he's smoking a cigarette, which was very strange at the time. Uh, and we start chatting, and he said uh, we had maybe a 40-minute conversation. And then he goes, well, great. It was great to meet you. Why don't you um, I'll let you know what we're thinking about doing. And they weren't really hiring. So I went out the door. And right before I got out the door, he's got this gravely voice. And he goes, Mullen. And I turn around. And he's like, I spent my whole life putting my name on the building. Don't you fuck it up. And he hired me. That was it. Like, he had made a decision in, in 40 minutes yeah. that he was going to hire me to do I don't know what, right? It was kind of like, I got to hire this kid. I don't know if he's any good, but we'll figure it out. And so um, that's how I started. So I walked out thinking, wait, I didn't even know I was trying to get a job here. I was just trying to meet the guy. Right. And, um, and a week later, I was working for him.
1: Right out of business school.
0: And a week later, I was in Guam, um, working on a deal in Guam. Wow. So... That's how it started. So that's,
1: that's life, right? You so a very
0: untraditional path into what was investment banking because uh-huh. we were doing an M&A for a lot of people in the media and telecom world, but he had a lot of investments everywhere in the world too. And so he had never, excuse me, I, when I say the world, he had never done anything outside of the United States and Guam is a U.S. territory. Okay. He, so he was saying, I want somebody to go and try to build our brand and our name and do our deals internationally. And we need e- either buy a company in London or Hong Kong or something like that, or we need to find somebody who's willing to get on a plane and go anywhere and is not afraid of anything. You're the guy. You're the guy. Interesting.
1: So this is, I guess you'd call it like a merchant bank, like buying stuff, also advising? Exactly.
0: Both. Um, we had two entities. One was an operating company that owned mm-hmm. a bunch of assets, and one was an investment bank that did a lot of M&A, private equity, uh, raise capital. We didn't do bonds debt IPO. We just did more like a very traditional old school conciliary type media technology, telecom M&A.
1: Right. Okay. So this is, this is a pretty cool job to get right out of business school. How long, how long were you there?
0: Well, I was there, um, well, we sold the firm in 2007 to RBC Capital Markets. Okay. And I stayed another three years at RBC and ran their international M&A. And so the total was almost 19 years at that company. So it was a fantastic, I grew up at that company, you know, all the other people that worked there, you know, the the oldest person other than him was probably, uh, 40. When I joined, I was 26. You know, other people that were there were 27, 28, 29, 30. We all grew up together for the next 15 years. It was very almost cultish. Um, everybody knew who Daniel's guys were in Colorado particularly, but we had a huge office in New York and, um, you know, we had a chef, we had a plane, we had all that kind of, Wild, weird stuff, but it was uh, a very unique experience. And because I ran international, um, I was on a plane all the time. And I wasn't married and, you know, wasn't tied down otherwise. So I was starting to get more and more deal opportunities in Europe. And I spoke French, which is what I did at Thunderbird. And so um, I found myself literally spending 20 days a month uh, working on things in Europe. And so I decided to move there. So I moved there and opened the Daniels office in Paris and then stayed in Paris for a couple of years. And then I moved to London and did the exact same thing there. And then from there, I moved back to New York City. So this international kind of angle, the international the Thunderbird, being able to speak French, is, do you,
1: is that a big contributor to why, you, why he offered you the job in the room? Well, um, what else is there?
0: I mean, I'm certain he, he didn't really care, right? Like, yeah, it's great. Okay, you speak French. He could have been fine if I spoke Spanish or Chinese. Like, it was more um, – he was clearly betting on me as somebody who wasn't uh, – somebody he could just throw in an airplane and see what happens. Right. wasn't expensive. You know, in, the, in, the, in those terms, it wasn't expensive. Um, um, and then I rose to become a senior partner, one of the senior partners of the company. So we lucked out, and Bill unfortunately died in 2000. He was 82, so he was already old at the time, older at the time. And then, then uh, as I mentioned, we sold the firm to RBC Capital Markets in 07. We totally lucked out. Uh, we weren't sitting there in 06 saying, "Hey, next year the world's going to crash. Let's get out of this." Yeah. Um, um, but we did sell in January of 07. We sold to a great firm, RBC. Great, great
1: timing, great firm. Yeah.
0: Um, they were fantastic for us. Um, you know, Canadians, we were a bunch of Colorado people. Um, uh, so we got along quite well. Um, they're very conservative. They couldn't do mortgages. So when the world crashed, they became one of the bigger banks in the world. Sure. As opposed to smaller. Um, so that was a good opportunity, but having grown up in that kind of cultish, um, uh, um, company that I just mentioned, I went from a company that had 70 employees to 70,000. Yeah, and you've heard the story before. So after three years, I was and I made my lockup. I was like, I'm out. Right. And at that point, we had moved to Los Angeles. So that's so in 2006, I moved here. Uh, we had one child in New York City. My wife is born and raised in L.A. And I'm from Colorado, as I mentioned. So we wanted to move west. So we made that move here. It was not a good move for me from a from a um, career perspective. Uh, we, while I, we did telecom media technology, we didn't do entertainment. Right. Um, so I never did deals in LA or California and, um, and also just extended my travel time. You know, I was going to Europe every other week and now I'm going to Europe every other week from LA as opposed to New York. So that was a bit rough, but the, the time was so wild, like '06 and '07, many people may recall was just insanity in terms of deals, mm-hmm. just kind of like it is now. You know, insanity. So I uh, was traveling a lot, doing a lot of things. And then when the world took its big hiccup in '08 and '09, mm-hmm. I didn't have to travel because nobody was doing deals. So I really kind of got in, uh, integrated into the L.A. community and the market. And, you know, we had another kid. And so we were much more uh, settling in for the long term here in Los Angeles. So when we when I left the firm in 2010... Um, the first thing I did was immediately go to work, uh, for the government and I was chief operating officer of the city. And, uh, that was a strange, unique situation that was set up by Austin Butner, who's a well-known entrepreneur and businessman here in LA who I've known for a long time. And he was appointed the first deputy mayor of LA. Uh, they were trying to bring in people. This is with Antonio Vigorosa. They were trying to bring in people that were uh, obviously had a business culture that would try to help the government be more business-friendly in an effort to create more jobs. Remember, this is 2010, yeah, and the economy was not great. Right, anything they could do. Yeah, and so they brought us in. We had uh, – we were there – I was there for, for 16 months. Austin stayed a little longer. I committed a year, so I stayed longer than I said I would. We weren't paid, um, but we had crazy titles, and we had crazy – i mean i uh the the head of the head of l a x reported to me right, which is then i don't know anything about running airports did you get a police light to slap on top of your car? <laughs> we I'm sure we could have done that um, we tried to stay away from that, but um we tried to stay away from utilizing anything for any special favors that's for sure we definitely did not do that, even though our friends would ask it was like we don't even know you, <laughs> um, so we went out of our way not to be uh to 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 take any advantage of um of the situation we were in, but that was so. so I didn't really have any time to, to uh, reflect really on what I did because I actually left mm-hmm. banking on a Friday and I retired mm-hmm.
1: after a 20 year plus career.
0: Yes, and you know, we sold the firm and, and I wanted to take a break, and um, so I, but I was convinced to give back and do this thing, and I would literally went on Monday. Wow, and I was wearing a suit at City Hall driving the damn traffic from the Palisades down there, right? So that was – my wife's like, wait, I don't understand this after like six months. And so – but that was always the commitment. And then when I came out of there, um, I had been investing in companies since the mid-'90s, since I started Daniels, both uh, personally and in other funds. So I was well, you know, uh, well-educated in terms of um, private investments. And that portfolio had done pretty well. I was getting more and more deal flow here in L.A. uh, to be an angel investor. Mm And while I had been an angel investor for a long time and had a good track record, that was a side job. Like, my job was doing what I told you. Right. Um, And so I didn't want to be an angel investor as a full-time job. I decided to raise a fund and be a venture investor as a full-time. So that's how I started into the venture world. And I felt like... Um, my view of LA at the time and having been here for five years was there was a, there's just very little capital here. Um, there was, uh, very, there were very few startups really long, really taking off. Um, but that there was a lot of, uh, unmet demand for that. And so I decided to raise that fund and we really specifically focused primarily on Southern California, um, primarily on B2B investments, which is what we now do all yeah. the way through Bonfire. So when you, when, you, when you left, it was RBC,
1: did you think you were going to get into investing? You thought you were just going to be a volunteer, like mm.
0: philanthropist? What did you think? Um, I always knew I was going to be in investing. You knew that. And I think when you're a banker and your clients, which were my clients, are like Carlisle and Blackstone and TPG, those were my clients. Yep. You always think, well, maybe I'll just go into private equity. And so it's always laying out there for you. Um, but I felt that I wanted to build my own brand. And so I didn't want to go to work for anybody ever, okay. ever again. Um, and in some ways while I worked for Bill and had incredible, um, the CEO of our firm, he was the chairman, the CEO of our firm, Brian Devey, who's an investor in all of our funds, um, um, was incredible as well. Uh, sorry, I lost the train.
1: Uh, you were, you thought you were going to be an investor when you left, you thought about going to private equity, but you wanted to be your own boss.
0: Yeah. And so, so I worked for great people. Yeah. But I never wanted to work for anybody again. Yep, um, well, you don't have to. I don't have to, and so um, that pushed me to sure I could maybe try to go to work for some of these big private equity guys that I've known for a long time. Yep. But I'd just be another person. Sure. And so I decided to start.
1: Well, what put, well, what pushed you to the early stage investing as opposed to you know later stage investing?
0: Well, I felt like I had this track record that I trusted. So I was investing, like I said, in side. various companies. Yeah. And um, and I feel like having worked – I've done deals in 30 different countries. And all those people were entrepreneurs. Bill Daniels himself, started with nothing, was an entrepreneur. So um, I had a chance to meet and get to know and understand the, new, the ins and outs of all these different entrepreneurs from different countries. Mm-hmm. And um, – so I have pattern recognition. I have uh, I've seen a lot, right? So I felt like in the seed area, which is what we focus on, you're really betting on people. Yep. More than a business plan or more than financials, et cetera. So I felt much more comfortable. I feel more comfortable with my own instincts on evaluating people. And that's harder or less important, I suppose, in the later stage type investing.
1: Yeah, where it's much more driven just by numbers, financial engineering. So can you give us some insight into that pattern recognition that you developed and that you have now?
0: Um, There are some obvious things. You know, you're trying to determine things like how to get through a challenge, you know, more more commonly referred to as grit, for example. You know, everybody's looking for that. Everybody's looking for somebody to be uh, um, honest and aggressive, but it's hard to actually in a half hour or 45 minute meeting determine those things. Yeah. And if you come uh, from the very beginning, uh, and I think if you were to talk to the founders and CEOs that I backed, they would might say that it was kind of an odd meeting, not odd from, it was weird. It's just like, that wasn't a normal meeting that I just had with Mullen. Um, and, you know, if you sit down, I love to have you come see me. I'll come see your office, whatever. If we sit down let's just say it's an hour meeting. We're going to spend 30 to 40 minutes on who you are before I even care about the company. And, you know, little things like if you want to bring out a deck, sometimes people come in and they got their computer with them and they put it on the desk and they just want to, they just want to open it up and start talking because that's their crutch. So that's a negative for me. Like, let's not, if you can't explain to the company in two minutes by looking me in the eye, then we got a problem, right? So, I try to get past that. But what I try to find out is, uh, and, and maybe it's uncomfortable. I try not to make it uncomfortable, but um, where are you from? That's the easy one, right? Where are you from? Well, I grew up uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, where? Where did you go to school? Not because I care where they went to school, but I want to understand the type of school. Like, did you go to your neighborhood school? How big was it? How many kids were there? What did you do to excel at that school? So if you have a school that had 40 kids and you were, you know, the star of the football team versus a, comp- uh, a high school that had 4,000 kids and you are the star of the football team, I don't know if there's a difference, but there might be, Maybe, right? yeah. Um, but um, who are your brothers and sisters? Which brother drives you crazy and why? Um, what did your mom do? You know, trying to figure out all these things. And there's, well, my mom's a psychiatrist. I, I met a guy uh, today, his mom is a psychiatrist and his dad is a psychologist. I'm like, wow, how did you get through that? You know, every day they're scrutinizing you. Yeah. Uh, and he, he laughed at that. But trying to figure out really what, what's driving them. So, for example, I've used this example, this this story before. Um, I, you know, I try to find the chips on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. try to put my hole in them. My finger in their hole on the chip, right? Push it. And, um, you know, I have this one company, uh, um, this woman is the sixth child of of the family. She has five brothers that are older. Her dad's an entrepreneur, and, like, she just wants to beat her brothers. Can you imagine that? Like, no one cared about her growing up. Like, she was, yes, the baby girl, but they were already, like, were focused on these guys. So she's got that, like, I want to prove to that whole family, my whole family, even though she loves them, that I'm actually... You know, I deserve a seat at this table. Okay, so like great.
1: Yeah,
0: and that's the type of stuff that I try to find out. Yeah. So the pattern recognition is not like what you wear, what you you know how you act, but little things like that are very important. Um, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with these individuals and um, on the phone, by text, um, by email, etc. And you know, you've heard this before as well, probably. You know, I want to actually want to spend time with these people I don't want to not like this person sure Um, and sometimes that's you know that is important and because we are going to spend a lot of time together and so I try to find uh, people that uh, that are I guess what's the word I'm looking for earnest um, polite uh, interesting just somebody you want to work with yes and I have an investment in a company that's doing very well that many people passed on in L.A., which is fine. I love those. And um, he came to meet me at my office, and we were saying goodbye at the end. And I liked him him a lot, but I was not sold on at that point. And he was about to walk out of my office, and he goes, Oh, hold on a second. And he goes back – sorry, he's about to walk out the door of our office. He goes back to my office, gets the glass of water that I had served him, Takes it into my kitchen, washes it, puts it away. Now, you may think I'm crazy by saying I then I then committed to him. Okay, but I was like, "This is a kid yeah. who learned things the right way, who has enough awareness to understand, you know, his position in this in the world, and that he can think about some of the things that are just basic." He didn't even think about it. So, I this is a person that I actually wanted to do business with. So I like that story. It's it's uh, yeah, it's the it's the wash my glass story. Now, the funny thing is if anybody hears the story and comes to meet me and then wants to try to wash the glass, it doesn't work that way anymore. Right? Yeah. That was
1: uh one time. Well, it's like, you know, you treating the, you know, the assistant well when you walk in and remembering her name and like there's something there. There's something to I the first job I ever got was for JP Morgan and I interviewed with someone and after the interview, the the guy said I wanted to know that I wanted to let you know that I talked to my assistant before and she said that you were an extremely personable, nice outgoing person. Yeah. And you know, people like are before an interview, they're sitting there with their head on or earphones like trying to get ready. They're not out there being yep. a human being. It's just about being a human
0: being. Yeah. And um I think you're totally right. And and not everybody comes that way. Right? Everybody's got I gotta build this company, I gotta do this and everything else got to be damned. Um but I think there's a lot more in life. Yeah, it's not compassion. That's not the way the world works. Yeah. You got And there's there are a couple cases of companies where I've invested where I've committed on the spot. I'm in a meeting, um, uh, Scott Kriz from Bidium, for example, uh, he was blocking my way at a bar, um, not blocking on purpose, but I was trying to order from the bartender and I was raising my hand and I, it was a packed bar and he happened to be the guy sitting in the chair in front of me and he kind of scooted to the side so I could, you know, yeah. s- kind of s- sideways in to order my beer. And while I'm waiting for it, I'm like, Hey, how you doing? He goes, Hey, how are you? It's kind of awkward. Like, you know, we were, uh, and so we start chatting. What are you doing here? I'm, 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 I'm doing this and I'm got this company. And, um, to be honest, he goes, yeah, we just finished raising around. Uh, I'm like, well, I want to invest. It's like, really? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, we're closed. I'm like, well, open it up. So that was our first interaction. Right. And I got him to open it up. Um, we put more money in all the way through and they just sold to Google last year. So that was a, you know, that's that's not going to happen very often either. Um, But it's an example of sometimes I feel comfortable enough to say, I'm going to bet on this person. Well, you Bill
1: Daniels, Tim, right in the room.
0: Bill Daniels, Tim, right in the room. That's
1: a great line. (laughs) Well, that's a great story. Mark, I I loved hearing this. You know, I usually let people leave it with like something, some morsel they would tell their younger self, something you're telling your kids, uh, you know, a reflection on how you got to where you are.
0: Yep. Um, Thank you. And I think – you know, personally, I always get a little bit frustrated. What's the word I'm looking for. I get, um, you know, generally people say, oh, you're a banker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't like to, I don't like to invest in bankers. I mean, I've had that. I've had people, like, at institutions who are investors in funds, like, oh, a banker. I'm like, what? You don't even know what you're saying. Like, I've seen the world. I've met incredible people, many of them bankers. Um, you know, most of them are pretty smart, and they've seen a lot, and they work really hard. Yeah. And so um, we have this ongoing debate, which is the work ethic that you learn at investment banking is kind of unrepeatable. Maybe at some consulting firms, a couple things like that, it's hard to match um, that early stage uh, uh, work ethic that you develop going through those programs, whether you like it or not. You know, you spend two years at J.P. Morgan, or Credit Suisse's training program, you come out of there kind of in a different spot, yep. Whether you like it or not, and so um, I think that that uh, those two things about being a banker, you know, people shouldn't be shouldn't be um, shy away from saying I'm a banker. I mean, I've seen the world, I've done a lot of cool things, I've met a lot of cool people because I was a banker. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Well, there's,
1: I mean, there's a lot of upside to it too. I mean, there's just as many people that don't like that shit on it, that value it for the things that you're saying. It's you're hardworking, you understand the intricacies of businesses and how to put together financial models and presentations, and you can sell yourself in a succinct manner. So there's a lot to be said for starting your career off or, you know, finding your way into banking somehow.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for working every weekend. Yep. And every night. Yeah, that sucks. While you're growing up. When you're young, like, it's okay.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, I, I look back on it on those times and working on th- Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, yep. Uh, so, it, wasn't, it was not fun during it, but I would never trade those times for anything. It's made me who I am today. Yeah. And I think it shows your competitiveness.
0: You know, you have to have it in some form. Anything, to, anything you can do to get ahead. It's hard today, I think. Um, especially in general, the, the phrase entrepreneur – has become much more it's just a mainstream phrase. If you, I, th- I was thinking about this recently like when my dad got into the ski business and then he started a restaurant business and both of them did well, I didn't ever I don't think I ever used the word entrepreneur. Like he didn't use that word.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um today it's just a it's a ubiquitous word, right? And so it's much more accepted to be an entrepreneur and try to start a company. On the other side of that is a bunch of, you know, things that shouldn't be started are being started, right? And people who think they're entrepreneurs just because they took a class at grad school that was in entrepreneurialism, that's not how it works either. No. And so um, I think there has to be a lot of, there, you know, there needs there's, there's the substance that you can get from starting in a different career or doing some other things prior to anything. I think it always helps.
1: Yeah, I went to business school with some guys and... They said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I said, what the hell does that mean? Like, you got to go out and do something, see yeah. some problems, some inefficiency, and say, oh, I can do that. But you're saying I want to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneur's
0: sake. I don't know
1: how quite how that
0: works. Right. And I get it. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of media attention on the successful companies. Yeah. A lot of – most companies don't make it, and we don't hear about those. And you, we all know the story. 95. But, hey, hey, do you want to be um, – you want to be Evan and drive a Ferrari and get an $800 million bonus when your company goes public? Yeah. yeah I, think pe- that. I think people mostly want to do that, Right, but that's pretty hard.
1: And look at you. You earned it. You worked for 20 plus years as a yeah, banker. I, w- I wish it was shorter, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, okay. Well, Mark, I think that that's fantastic advice. This was a lot of fun speaking with you. we done already? Unless you got anything else.
0: I don't. Know, ha- you know, happy to take questions, but that <laughs> well, was fun. I, 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 Like I was saying to you before, you know, I, I haven't really done the historical perspective on myself because you don't take the time to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Nor have I done the revisionist history on myself. I'll start figuring figuring on that one. Think about that a little bit more. Yeah. Anytime.
1: Okay. Well, thanks again. Okay. Okay. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll, We'll be back in a week with another episode. Until then, let me know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes or send me an email. Alex at
0: wallstreetoasis.com.